You're listening to the Green Majority Radio Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a really good show for you today. I felt great about it when I when I finished uh, Stefan Agrees. So the Green Majority hosts think today's show was great. We hope you agree. If you do agree, when you get to the end of this program, you can show us how much you agree by going to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority and sign up as a member today. Enjoy the show. Welcome. You are listening to now for the next hour, maybe more if you listen to the podcast, The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM. If you're listening live or possibly you're listening on one of our very appreciated community radio partners all the way across the country, Rabble.ca, National Observer, soon to be uh, in giant billboard form on the moon, Steph and I here. Really? That's a very long-term project in the works. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll, get, we'll get the moon base first <laughs> and, then the, and then our live stream on it beside the moon base. I did actually propose a moon base in a previous bonus show episode. If you want to hear about that, go back in the, in the archives. Well, uh, you know, with, with Trump in power, Newt Gingrich might actually get to build his moon base. <laughs> like, this is a legitimate possibility. I, I believe I was proposing a research center, not like a like supervillain moon base. But anyway, let's not let's N- not get Newt's too moon base was definitely a supervillain <laughs> moon base. There's just no question. Austin Power style. Yeah. Okay. So we uh, we have we're running now, Stefan, our second show in a row where we're unusually prepared. Yes. Um, so I don't want to take any time with any silliness as much as I like silliness mm. uh, anymore. I will just point out. Uh, I don't know how much she's going to jump in. Uh, Deirdre Libanada who I got really close, I think, with yes, her last name. Yes, you got name. it. Awesome. <laughs> uh, if you haven't only been listening, uh, listening recently, you may uh, not know who Deirdre is, but she was on the show previously and then got a really cool opportunity and ra- ran away and said, see you suckers. Anyway, she's now back. <laughs> uh, so she may or may not jump in at some point. That'll be up to her. We'll yes, see. Uh, Deirdre's story is part of the proof that volunteering for us basically guarantees you cool things to make you leave us. It does. Yeah. So yeah. so just so you know, that's the, the uh, props for t- volunteering yeah. with us. The best volunteer <laughs> opportunity you'll ever leave. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Uh, so, Stefan, you are basically going to take point on this first section, so I give it to you. Yes, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, so, the, the first section of the show I am calling uh, The Future is Here If We Want It, uh, largely because of two stories. And both are from Bloomberg, which is which I think is all, should be noted uh, up front. This is these are two stories from you know not from uh, our usual sources of you know what might be characterized as lefty news. You know, there's no words uncut or uh, or any sort of other things about this. This is from Bloomberg uh, News, and the first is about solar uh, solar the. the We've talked about this a bunch, but the increasing and increasing and increasing not only capacity for solar in in the world, uh, but the, the but the sort of co- corollary, both causation and I think like, simultaneously the price decreases as we can scale, but also as the price decreases, the in, the encouragement to scale is increased. The word you're looking for is inversely proportional. Inversely proportional. Sorry, there we the go. Phrase you're looking for. Right there we go. Um, and so and so and so yeah. So, so what we're seeing now is not only the solar installations are massively increasing and but the price is decreasing by massive amounts as well uh and so this article is titled solar could beat coal to become the cheapest power on earth um and and it's and and, and this is part of this is that in some places it already is uh so and since, since 2009 solar prices are down 62 percent 
uh, with every part of the supply chain trimming costs, which you know, shouldn't be a surprise. You know, when you are a fledgling um, business with with massive opportunity, you will find ways to consistently cut costs. We get, you know, if humans are good at one thing, it is slowly but surely finding ways to get things done faster, quicker. With less things, with less technology needed, or, or, or with more technology needed often, but with less sort of expensive inputs, um, and we get better and better at doing a certain thing. Um, and so, and so, this in, what, the, what this has done again is a part of this is, as well as as businesses grow and as businesses scale and as costs come down, all these other parts of the of the our, our chain of our, our chain of interlocking pieces in our economy come together. So the decre- the decreasing costs of uh, of solar price helps cut costs for premiums on bank loans, uh, which then thereby pushed manufacturing capacity to record levels. So again, it's one of these things where it's it's one part of success leads to another part of success, which leads to another part of success, and it becomes a you know snowball rolling down a hill. And so, which 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 is led to that by 2025, there, there there are some reports that say that solar may be cheaper than coal on average globally, uh, according to Bloomberg New Energy Finance, and so. This is this is huge. This is you know because coal. Our only argument for coal is that it's cheap. It's not especially movable. You know, it's not like oil, which can be moved under in in uh, in pipelines. Even you know, there was that there was that massive uh, uh, traffic jam in China a couple of years ago, in part due to how much coal they were trying to truck throughout the entire uh, the entire country. And and so the only argument for coal has ever been that you can theoretically move it, it's on demand and it's cheap. And so if solar becomes this thing which is which which can actually com- fight at cost competitively, then 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 you're you're very fast losing almost all arguments for coal. And so the question becomes, you know, why? What's helping this happen, right? Um, and, and, and a big of it is that in 2016, countries from Chile to the UAE uh, broke record deals to generate electricity from sunshine for less than three cents a kilowatt hour. Now, to understand that Ontario's cheapest power comes from hydro, and I'm pretty sure that sits around approximately five cents an hour. And so this is, this is, this is solar energy coming from less than that. Uh, and that's half the average cost of global coal power. And because of this, Saudi Arabia, which we've discussed before on the show, uh, Jordan and Mexico are all planning uh, actions that tenders for this year, aiming to drop prices even further. And you know, we, we, we talk about this all the time about how this is a this is a opportunity for industry and how we how we want we would love you know if for the canadians to be a part of this thing and part of this global movement to actually expand uh expand power or sorry to, to be a part of this renewable energy economy and instead they're going to italian and spanish companies because you know italian and spanish companies got a lot of subsidies early on so they are now taking advantage of these of these new deals as the subsidies in their own countries dry up so these are countries that are going from one place um, and and then back. Um, one thing that wasn't really mentioned in the article, and I think it's a huge reason why solar is so <clears throat> incredible right now, is because of its impact on developing countries. Um, I know the article mentioned how solar is going to be slower in countries that don't have um, carbon prices um, because they have so many 
non-renewable resources to work on right now. But in countries like Tanzania, um, I was really surprised to see um, solar in these in really rural areas. Um, and it's because it's so accessible and you don't really need a lot of in- infrastructure around it um, in addition to the panels. And in this village, about three hours from any city, um, there's this one store, um, and it's where everyone charges their phones, and it's run off these two solar panels, and it's it's through this tiny grant, but it's so accessible out there that I, I'm surprised that it's taken this long to catch on. Yeah, and it, it, the same thing happens is happening in India. Like leapfrog technologies in India are huge. The amount of places in rural villages in India that are g- coming onto solar is is it's massive. Well, and there's there's two other quick things I want to throw in there, which is really important. I mean, it's you know we can you know saying it was like oh well, look at look at these countries and people say oh well, that's you know India they're not you know like the the biggest world power. Well, first of all, if you're, that's your <laughs> assumption, you're actually just not aware. Yeah, yeah. wait uh, like oh it's wait India. ten years. Well, it's like these are the, you know the BRIC countries, Brazil, whatever. These yeah. are these are the giant expanding economies that are even aside from any of this stuff, even aside from climate change, aside from any of these things, are already you know the emerging economies that are that are you know as the the the, the global power institution that is the United States is apparently evaporating has already been <laughs> evaporating and now seems to be set to fall right off a cliff as opposed to its sort of slow decline mm-hmm. as the world globalizes like intellectually and socially uh, globalizes uh, their sort of reign of power is is down and so I mean these these are these were already economies that were already threatening the sort of like the global influence of uh, you know countries like the United States um, so when you combine things like with what Trump's doing with with the fact that these countries are jumping onto this bad and actually investing directly into the future and, and aren't making the mistake of building 50 or 60, 70 year infrastructure when we f- when we know that it's it's going to become financially just lun- just crazy <laughs> in in less than a quarter, you know, a quarter to a tenth of the lifespan of these projects. I mean, it, at this point, it's not even about like, oh, well, it's it's slightly better or, or the climate change worse. It's also like you're setting up Canada and Canada and, and the United States to like drastically fall down in their in their economic viability. Like you're putting the future of Canadians, uh, the economy, and us as a as a global power at all in in terrible terrible risk. Yeah, because yeah, because as soon as I've been saying this for a while, the moment that that the rest of the world figures out carbon pricing is going to be a like, and China is about to unleash it's the largest carbon market in the world. Like we are we are going to see a shift coming soon, and we have to get on this train. Yeah, uh, and uh, sorry, the, the other quick thing that was really uh, that I think is really important is also that like keep in mind, you know, oil has oil infrastructure and the and the 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 working to to maximize the efficiency of oil infrastructure has been happening for give or take about a hundred years now. Uh, solar and renewable energy along these types of lines has had maybe 20 years if you stretch it. Mm-hmm. As far as like being a, a, an energy infrastructure type thing, not mm-hmm. yes, we've had solar panels on calculators for quite some time. That's <laughs> not what I'm talking about. Uh, and in this time, every uh, the you know as one of the biggest industries in the planet, they have a lot of power. They've been using that to suppress, actively suppress renewable energy. It took them 20 years to slap them in the face. <laughs> in 30 years, it's going to beat it. At what point do you say, okay, maybe we should probably look into this other technology? Like it's you know every disadvantage, every possible disadvantage, every possible advantage has been given to oil infrastructure. Uh, you know every it, you know barely there are any any resources. There's no market stability at all. Despite every possible disadvantage for any technology, it's still crushing oil and is about to 
surpass it regardless what anybody thinks. Like this is madness. It's madness to not just jump on this boat. It, it really, really is. Uh, it, it is criminally negligent to not see this as an inevitable future technology that must be invested in today. And, 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 and as, the, as more and more people get on board, as I mentioned earlier, the, the scope and the scale of, uh, of this decreases, in, uh, decreases the cost more and more and more. You know, uh, to quote Adnan Amin, who's the International Renewable Energy Agency's direct gen- Director General, um, is, says, has points out that every time you double capacity, you reduce the price by 20%. And capacity has been doubling at an uh, um, incredible rate. Um, and, and so, that, and so, so much so that, uh, GTM experts, uh, expect some parts of, uh, of the, of, of some parts of the U.S. Southwest, Southwest approaching $1 a watt today. So that's even $3, that's, that's, that's one third of the price that even some of these other deals are getting, are getting made. Uh, and might drop as low as 75 cents by 2021. And so these are the sort of things that it's, and you know, and, and and that's not just one organization. The U.S. Energy Department uh, Department's National Renewable Energy Lab expects costs to go of about one dollar and twenty cents now to decline by to one dollar, and, and by twenty thirty, current technology will squeeze out, out most potential savings um, of of going to coal, and so like this is everywhere. And and what's interesting about this is. Then you sort of so 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 like so this is that that's the pro this is the pro solar argument obviously and when you go over to the uh, when you go over to the uh, to the to the other side of this conversation to the coal side uh, they point out one thing uh, which is a f- which should be mentioned and we understanding how our energy grid works is very important for any of these conversations um, which is that if you which is that because solar is intermittent. And coal can be can coal can exist you know twenty four seven. If you have to if you calculate if you calculate in the uh, the cost for um, if you calculate in the cost for managing the the sort of spinning reserves that you need so that the amount of money that so the the amount of so because solar might run out you have sort of have to have some other sort of energy in backup getting you ready to getting ready to jump in if you calculate that then that raises the cost to say approximately then 2035 is when parity with coal would come in but what that also leads you and to question. keep in mind that that number is being calculated by a company whose entire business model is being put out of business by this. So yes. I think I think that we should take that with a grain of salt. For sure, for sure. But it, the point is, it does raise the cost. It definitely does raise the cost, and it doesn't fully do what we want it to do, which is felt, which is which is actually stop the need for fossil fuels to be running as this backup power, right? Um, which which leads me to the sort of second piece of this. Oh, so you're telling me is that what we if only if only someone was right now this day. Uh, working to sort of massively scale up our infrastructure to, you know, store this energy. If only. If only. <laughs> if only. Um, oh, wait, what's the next story? <laughs> uh, th- uh, earlier this week, Tesla, f- uh, quote, unquote, flipped the switch on the Gigafactory, <laughs> which is uh, already cool, a yeah. cool name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well done. Um, and, and, to, and I'm not going to go fanboy over Tesla uh, at this current moment, but what the Gigafactory is, is it is now begun building its first battery cells or rolling off production lines uh, for its Model 3 electric car. This is the largest this is the, the scale of the size of this factory when it's fully scaled up is enormous. It's 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 already starting. So, so like because, and in part because Tesla needs this battery. Tesla needs storage. Tesla's almost entire 
future relies on effective storage. Uh, and it's also part of that, you know, it's, this is also part of Tesla's intentional shift from being not only doing electric cars, which it's known for, but moving into, um, into, into renewable energy, uh, you know, with the power wall, which will also end up being, um, uh, also end up being built at this at this Giga factory, and also actually the Powerwall too, uh, not just the Powerwall, um, and 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 and, they've, and, and others, which also leads to their sort of overall movement towards renewable energy. You know, they've bought some solar companies, including Solar City Corp, uh, to facilitate this shift. And all of Tesla, what, what Tesla's really doing here is it's one hundred percent doubling down on the idea that if they can get storage right, they can be the next g- giant. And and that's what they're trying to do. And like, to, I, I want to like I want to just give you the scale of which of how much this, this, this how huge this is, because it is going to. And let me just let me just find this exact uh, this exact phrase because it, when I read it I was so sort of like how on earth are you doing this? Um, it's only a third complete by now, but in 2018, it will double the world's capacity, production capacity for, li- for li- lithium-ion batteries. This is one factory. It's going to double the, the, the capacity for lithium-ion batteries. And, you know, if you're a Trump-based voter in, uh, you know, in Reno, uh, it's going to employ 6,500 of you. And, and guess what? Tesla is one of the only few companies actually building cars in America or expanding building cars in America. Jobs. <laughs> so if you're, if you're arguing about jobs, this is the opportunity. This is, this is where we're at. This is what we need to do. And so this is what I mean when I say the future is here if we want it. Tesla because- is making America great again. <laughs> 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 like, well, like it's it's certainly trying. We'll see if America lets it. Um, but but you know, here's the thing: like as 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 solar, like we have we on this show and and basically anyone who's been paying attention to to, to future market trends, uh, or especially within within the climate space, has been saying that that solar and renewables plus storage is the future. And and just to see Bloomberg sort of come out with these two stories, basically back to back almost, about the plummeting price of uh, of solar with this massive increase in the creation of, of, of batteries. And now again, it should be mentioned that lithium ion batteries may not end up being the actual correct battery solution. Uh, and we might find a better battery solution in some states. But we're at least building the capacity to do this. You know, for so long we've I think we've lived in this world where you know the the oil companies would say, sure you could do that. But like you can't right now, can you? And slowly but surely, or the answer will be no. Not only can we, but we are. Mm. And I th- yeah, my 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 really quick one uh, before we go to break here is just uh, you know we were talking about this on the bonus show a little bit about uh, uh, go back a couple of shows. I was talking about you know the power of. Uh, you know how much influence the the prime minister actually has over the conversation in Canada. We had uh, you know our previous prime minister who was basically implying you know all but said outright uh, every day you know essentially climate change is not real. Build oil be- uh, you know because oil because it's going to make us money and climate change. Don't worry about that. Now we have a prime minister that says climate change is real and the way we pay for solving it is by building oil infrastructure. <laughs> if uh, so, uh, I I would put to you obviously this is not a real suggestion, but I mean as far as the power like Tesla and and all of Elon Musk's companies have, you know, really had some questionable ideas. They've had a lot of failures. There have been a lot of screw ups. Any other company would have been sunk a hundred times over. The reason he succeeded is because he is an unbelievable hype master and salesperson. That is the only reason that they are where they are today. And so 
this is the type of conversation we need to have. This, you know, this is what I expect uh, him to. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau to to do is come out and 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 talk about this sort of technology and and talk about how this is how we're going to make Canada the most you know influential, powerful, and you know best place to live on the planet is by meeting all these goals by investing in the solutions to those problems, not doing both. And it would be funny to ask him to run because then we could have signs that would say Musk for Prime Minister, which would just be good. <laughs> uh, last word, very quick, goes to Deirdre. Oh, I was just going to say that. I mean, we've known about the the. Um since Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, we've known about factories and how individual jobs um, can contribute to a huge amount of efficiency. So um, this is a huge game changer, and I'm excited to see what happens. All right. <laughs> well, with that, we'll, we'll take it over to Neil, who's our tech this week, and he's going to tell us what we're going to listen to on our first break. All right, and we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or on Green Majority's own podcast, which has an extended bonus show after the regular show where we get even more informal than we already are on the main show, if that were even possible. Uh, We're going to come now to uh, a story that I am very excited to talk about because I think that this is being actually underreported. It's being underreported in lots of places, and I think it's just one of those things where, you know, this is a really good not to – not to – pull out the old uh, collar here a little bit for a mm. second. But I mean, this is the sort of thing where, you know, this is the problem when you have, you know, journalists who aren't trained in anything but journalism, um, is that they're not sort of, the, they're not able to recognize a lot of this. And you'll get some of this sometimes in like op-eds and uh, The Guardian, which is where I'm pulling the story from today is generally better. But I mean, this should really be a massive, massive story. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about uh, an article that uh, we'll have as usual with everything else we talk about posted on the show post today at greenmajority.ca called The Five Innovations That Shaped Sustainability in 2016. I'm going to talk about two of them. You can read the rest uh, later. Oh, I'll just tell you what they are. The three I'm not going to get into right now is a handheld uh, cancer detecting device. That would have been nice. Uh, stuff you can eat instead of throwing away. That's a big story as well. Uh, and then a drone. We actually came back and it's so funny that Deirdre's here this week because that was essentially her favorite story ever, which was the drone that helps endangered species by dropping, what was it, like peanut covered? Anyway, we're not getting into it. It was the ferrets. It was the, the medic- medicated uh, pellets. Yeah, to drop on were they like M and M's or jelly beans or something? Anyway. There was there were some M and M's. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> okay, so the the two that are the most important are directly directly related. Uh, so the most important one, and then I'll tell you the corollary to that as well, uh, is one is the fifth one in this list, which is uh, entitled "Using 3D Printers to Eliminate Plastic Waste." So uh, 3D printers have been a very hot topic over the last uh, <clears throat> couple of years. Uh, they've been increasingly everywhere. I've now, uh, now been to several locations that, uh, aren't just like super geeky workshops, but like regular workplaces that are using this, uh, 3d drafting and modeling, uh, um, sorry, pro- rapid prototyping. That was all the word, the word I always forget, or the phrase I always forget rapid prototyping devices, which is the ability to sort of have an idea, draw it in a computer. And then you have a 3d model almost instantly later. These are becoming ubiquitous. Uh, they're everywhere. I've, I've even seen some like, uh, just regular school classrooms now that have this sort of technology to do it. But the potential is magnified quite a bit when you take into account a second factor. Uh, because currently, a lot of the inputs for this, a lot of the fuel, if you will, a lot of the uh, the thing that's consumed to actually build these models is, in fact, new plastic in a lot of the case. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. And people have been, now that essentially that the, the rapid prototyping, the 3D printing technology has now been, I mean, there's going to be innovation or whatnot, but the basic principle is more or less perfected, uh, is my understanding. You know, And there's going to be innovation and improvements, but essentially, like it, it works as a technology. It's a functional technology. It's being scaled up and used 
everywhere, um, is the more important thing, which is of what do you use as quote unquote fuel? What do you use as the input? And what's being worked on now and has been successfully done, but will need to be scaled up. And I guarantee you will be scaled up because it's an unbelievably profitable venture is actually using waste plastic as the input closing the loop on plastic. Now, how many times have we talked about on the show, the, you know, giant ocean, uh, uh, the, the like giant islands of floating plastic, uh, in the ocean, we are, you know, covered with water bottles everywhere. There've been a lot of initiatives over the last few years to ban water bottles up, you know, disposable water bottles from here and there. But so much of the stuff that we use is plastic. Now there's just so much plastic in the world, uh, that, I mean, there's basically plastic everywhere. Every part of the earth, every animal and creature is going to have little bits of plastic in it. And one of the things that people have mentioned uh, before uh, as well is that, well, if, you know, one of the consequences of doing away with the oil industry is that that's where most of the plastic comes from and that we would have to find a replacement for that. Bazinga. (laughs) (laughs) Now we don't need any new plastic. Uh, All of the things that require uh, plastic can be taken from plastic that is already in existence and will essentially, with the exception of uh, uh, complex electronics or microchips or any of that sort of stuff, yes, high-end technology, yes. But as far as most of the physical things that we use, we can now do that. You can have a device in your home. Uh, the cost right now for an average one is somewhere between $500 and $1,000. This will come down rapidly. You know, Imagine for a couple hundred bucks that any just general, normal device that you would need to buy, a cup, a spoon, any of these things can now all be printed entirely in your own home from a design printed off your computer using waste plastic that you could theoretically even go and collect yourself, although more than likely there's going to be vast companies going and cleaning it up. And we've just eliminated like a giant part of the marketplace because you can now make custom things on demand yourself from waste product in your own home. This is a gigantic game changer. Stefan. Yeah, I was just going to say this is one of those things which like not only like even if you expand it a little bit even if you say you know what that seems you know like here you say that and they, that seems like that's a lot i don't you know i like I, well yes darren i think that would be amazing if you could print everything but like people are lazy i don't think people are going to do that all the time or you know people don't understand how things work so they're not going to understand how to do this people can't understand how their computer works so what are the chances they're going to figure out how to 3d print a spoon if you can um, answer your email you can 3d print a spoon well, fair enough but some people can't answer their email <laughs> uh, but all i want to say is i think that that even if you scale it up just slightly even if you scale it up, say you know what? Maybe there isn't going to be a 3D printer in every home, but what? But if there's a repair shop at every corner of the street mm-hmm. that actually understands how a lot of your other technologies work and a lot of your other things, we've work. talked about this before. Those knife sharpening trucks that used to drive around neighborhoods, <laughs> yeah. we'd have a 3D printing truck going around. Hey, what do you need? Do you need yeah. a spoon? Do you need a cup? And they just have a giant reservoir mm-hmm. of waste plastic and they print stuff on demand for a couple of bucks. But not even just a spoon or a cup. I mean things like smaller things that you need to fix stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know the small things. That it, it's one thing to sort of you know have have a have a, a spoon when you need a spoon it's a much bigger deal to prevent you from throwing some larger piece of furniture out or a larger thing out because you can you know 3d print say a you know a specific piece that broke like how often do you throw out something because a specific piece of the thing broke and it's you know it's it's nothing it's it should be very very easy to fix but because we don't have you know it's a hassle to call up ikea and get them to send you one screw that they haven't sent uh you you, you have this way to to bring this back and i think i would say even if you even if you don't want to get as far down to every individual person i think just the ability to have a have such a have like these sort of tr- these these repair centers uh throughout the country is a massive opportunity for you know for growth um yeah i was gonna say i'm a little bit i don't want to be a downer but i i really want to learn more about this technology and how 
all-encompassing as it is because plastics are so versatile and, and they're made of so many different kinds of polymers. And right now, even our recycling plants can't process every single type of plastic. Um, so I'm interested to know what kinds of plastics it will be able to process um, because I think I believe less in humanity than maybe you guys do. And I think that if we're, we're always looking for scapegoats and if we're, if we're given the opportunity to use more plastic, then that's not necessarily the best solution because it'll mean that we can keep using plastic and it'll give us less incentive to move on to other perhaps more viable materials and well, and to, and to Stefan's point, the other, I mean, w there's an initial, there's an initial hur hurdle there, but essentially once you're on that sort of second gen mm -hmm. stuff, right? So say you have as to, to, to accommodate Sarah Stefan's point there, uh, say you have an item that was 3d printed. Uh, and that 3D printing is not done. I mean, you're not designing it by hand. It's running a program. You input and say print spoon and then you hit enter, right? Like that's literally that simple. Once you have – once that design work has been done and the, in, and the input there in the machine exists. So once you have that initial item that's been printed as per a spec design from a computer program, it is infinitely simple to have a sensor that detects, okay, here's the original model, put in the broken thing. Mm. To have it scan, say, oh, here's the parts that aren't there, and to fix the model. Mm -hmm. Like, this could be entirely operate, uh, entirely automated, incredibly simple with currently existing technology. And well, I think also to, to jump off Deirdre's point as well, I think it's important to note that that, that the, a lot of the problems that are created and caused by these by different types of polymers and stuff like that, and why so much of the stuff isn't, uh, isn't uh, because so much of the stuff isn't immediately reusable, uh, is in part because of um, because of uh, because of our standards of what we actually want to use things for, um, and you know, there's a lot of I think. I think I, 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 part of the thing with, 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 with second-gen stuff right now is it's almost always degraded, right? You never you can't turn a plastic water bottle into another plastic water bottle. You turn a plastic water bottle into to another sort of degraded type of, of plastic. And I think there's, I, I there's going to be a, a, an interesting movement to if you can start universalizing the types of plastic we mm -hmm. use, then you actually get an opportunity to really, to really scale up the power, right? And, yeah. and it, comes, it comes down to, I think putting the responsibility we talked about this like a year ago but putting the responsibility on the companies manufacturing things if they have to deal with the end product they will start doing things like instead of building the plastic that works as perfectly as possible for this particular thing let's accept that you maybe get a plastic that works slightly less well or you know isn't clear but can be then reused at the end of the end of its life cycle and i think it's this full life cycle thinking that combined with we have this technology now to 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 sort of double down on full life cycle technology <laughs> Um, and and I think we have, but we haven't started actually building things to to do that. Well, and I think it comes to the manufacturers first. Yeah, and that's that's the incredibly that's exactly what I was going to say. That's the incredibly important thing because I mean, if we'd said before, um, you know, uh, and I, I I have said this on the show, and and I was I was there was context under which this made more sense than it's going to sound like <laughs> than I made it now, but I was proposing the idea that, yeah, you know, one of the things that regular regulatory bodies could do, uh, regardless of what, you know, internationally or national or governments or local or whatever, is say that, you know, products that can't be completely recycled cannot be sold. Mm. Now, that was not feasible. Th this makes that something like that infinitely more feasible. Let me let me couch it that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, it makes it you could say for like entire sectors of the economy for certain types of products. Sure, certain things could be excluded from that, but this could encompass most consumer products, with the exception of you know high end electronics uh, and advanced stuff. And yes, given that uh, electronics is a massive problem unto itself, so that's not. I mean, don't don't think that I'm brushing you know electronic mm. waste off the plate. 
But it's a giant part of the problem, and it would make it realistic for a government like Canada to say, okay, you can no longer sell uh, disposable items in Canada. Any disposable item, if it's disposable, it must either be recycled, as in electronics, as in you, you, you ha- if Dell sells a computer, Dell has to, by law, accept this t- uh, in return, and it's their problem what they do with and it. And that law does, those laws or, do exist currently. Yeah, and if it doesn't fit into that, then it has to fall into this category mm-hmm. where it must be able to be reused. Mm-hmm. And if it, it must fall into one of those two things, either the company that sells it works recycling it and or reusing it or whatever they want to do or paying you know very heavy you know prices to dispose of it safely or it has to be reusable and what a product that that doesn't fit into one of those two categories is not viable you aren't allowed to sell it uh this makes those types of laws infinitely more feasible and possible and and, I, and to go back actually to our first section to sort of tie this all together a little bit uh, a part of me wishes um, we've talked about this much about how we wish that uh, that some a government, really almost any government, um, but preferably ours, um, would 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 actually sort of issue a, a challenge to its populace in a way in a way that we sort of saw with the say the space race, um, you know, like a to really actually push the push the limits of our imagination and say let's let's collectively work towards this goal and we will help everyone work towards this goal in a way in a sort of more holistic way. Sure, they have like little competitions and stuff like that, but I mean a holistic attempt. And and what's funny is the only it seems like the only place we're seeing these sort of big thinking attempts is right now in the private in the private sphere. You know what Mu- what Elon Musk is doing right now is basically doing exactly that. Elon Musk gave, was like. I am going to get us. I'm, I'm going to go to Mars, and I'm going to make us. I'm going to make all transportation renewable, and that's a in that's a ridiculous. That's a ludicrously high goal, um, and and everyone laughed him out of the out of the space, um, and and yet he's still trying these things. And the reason why people sort of get worked up and excited about Tesla is because it has these audacious good goals. And it's funny that like goals where you want a corporation to succeed. Exactly. And 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 and, and, uh, and we don't, aren't getting that from our public sphere right now. Like if, you know, if if our public sphere came out and said, "You know what, everyone, we believe in the ability and the innovation ca- capacity of Canadians and we and here's our goal and we are going to go we are going to like, you know, any of these things, right? Like, let alone let like like let's let alone the the renewable energy transformation and switch to what we've talked about now, which is this idea of of moving plastics and, and using plastics in a, in a much more effective way. You know, as we mentioned, the solar. If you actually got that industry off the ground, then you start getting more and more efficiencies because people get better and better at doing all the things. You know, if you could get a piece of this industry going, which you know requires government subsidies, um, uh, which which is which like you know we which we've all just generally accepted. People have now like you know as much as people sort of moan subsidies, we we use subsidies to help fledgling industries all the time, and and this is a place where if you did that. It, w- it, it could very well be, you know, if what if instead of, you know, the Italian and Spanish companies getting all of the money for uh, for these solar contracts, what if the neck in 20 years, Bloomberg's writing an article about how the Canadian companies are the ones sort of getting the money for these for these for this improved plastics in uh, 3D printing and in repairing uh, companies that, you know, right now don't exist. But we have the technology. The future is here if we want it. 
Google consumes far more power than all of Canada. Uh, and their goal is to be 100% renewable within the next decade. I forget the actual number. But, but here, here's the thing I want to I wanna leave this section with. And we'll, we'll end maybe a minute early than for once uh, before going to this last section is, uh, you know, as far as like these are really good concepts. And I think these are really good ideas. And I'm very excited about these types of things. I mean, if, if you know, when I, whenever, whenever politics makes me want to like scream at a window, I go and read the tech sector pages because that's like at least there's some like there's some joy there for me and that's a very personal thing as, as i've said on the show you know I'm, I'm very much a technophile um but here's the thing that takes this from sort of like a, an important concept to an important action item an urgent and immediate action item uh is trump right there is a there is a McCarthy like you know scare right now among all the climate scientists. They were literally asking for people's names. Like, who who believes in climate change? We're going to name. <laughs> so I mean, when I was in when I was in high school, there was a, what was really a big hot topic here in Canada. Uh, that even at that time, I wasn't terribly uh, plugged in. And even I saw this stuff, which is to say how prevalent it was at the time. And anyone older than me probably is going to is going to know this very much. Uh, you know, some of the younger people may not be as familiar with this. But there was a very urgent problem, a very urgent concern about this concept of the quote unquote brain drain from Canada. That was a very big buzzword for quite some time. And it was a very, very ongoing issue about, you know, we're training all these people. We're paying for them to be educated. We're, we're making these, you know, very talented, uh, innovative, smart people that are going to lead the, the future uh, of this country. And they're all being sucked down to American corporations. We're in a situation right now where we have an, an amazing opportunity to scoop up all this talent that is currently being scared out of the U.S. because either because they're literally frightened they're going to be jailed by this fascist. Or just because they see that the trend is a, is against them and they're looking for better opportunities elsewhere. People right now who are building these futuristic technologies are not really super excited about the U.S. right now. There, this is a, this takes it from a sort of like great concept to maybe think about and to maybe like, you know, to ponder and to, to roll about and to have conversations about into an urgent, immediately urgent action item for Justin Trudeau. If you want to get on this bandwagon, if you're serious about solving climate change and getting past oil, because he pretends to want to, I mean, he's saying that oil will pay for it. But ultimately, even he admits that the point of that is to get away from this. Now is the time. Because now is the time when we have all of these amazingly talented people, all these amazingly talented innovators that are literally going to be building the future, both metaphorically and quite literally. Uh, and, and they're looking for opportunities. They're looking for the better place to go. Now is the time, Justin. Now is the time. <laughs> Let's go to break. Neil, what is our second music break, buddy? Nice fight, O'Neill. Thank you very much. Uh, you're listening to the final section now. We're in the home stretch of the Green Majority Radio program. Uh, also on the podcast, a little bit more. If you're listening to the podcast, we will have a bonus show today, and uh, Deirdre will be joining us for that as well. Uh, I would like to talk about a little bit more about Trudeau and a National Observer, speaking of National Observer, a National Observer article which uh, riled me a little bit, which I think many people will be surprised that I had a negative reaction to. That will be the, the oh. only teaser. Um, although, unless you really listen to the show a lot, and then you know exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. But many folk would be surprised ah. that I would have a negative reaction to. But anyway, we'll leave that for the for the end show. We're going to talk about now, Ms. Stefan, you you laid out a very good um, outline for today's show. We were talking about the futures here if you want it and uh, in the second section uh, we're uh, talking very much about sort of innovation and technology and, and you know, the future the future is here and all that sort of thing. Um, the, but the downside is that, like some of the, the threats and so we're each going to take a story here uh, essentially to, to run this up. And one of the ones that I wanted to do um, 
is uh, this is actually a couple weeks old, and and the the time of the article is kind of irrelevant because it's uh, essentially following up on an, an issue that's been going on for quite some time. So I mean, this is in no way topical. The reason I or it's no way timely, but. The reason I wanted to bring it up was I, I have on this show – oh, so first of all, I should say as far as fact-checking. So I have on the show said many things which mm. uh, which come up to the top of my head. Occasionally, we get email where I'm corrected. I'm happy to be corrected. Uh, and I usually put qualifiers, uh, but I do have a tendency to sort of throw things off uh, – and the, sometimes it's more accurate than others. So, uh, <laughs> Stefan, according to a well-made infographic, according to a well-made infographic, uh, there is just no way that Google uses more power uh, than Canada all overall in a year. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's it seems as if uh, honestly, I, uh, the, uh, judging from the very quick math I was trying to pull off of converting kilowatts and watts to kilowatt hours, which was not successful, my guess would be that I would be surprised if Google even uses much power as it's almost certainly less than Ontario, and I would say maybe maybe at best in the realm of the city of Toronto, but even still, probably the city of Toronto probably still uses more. Uh, right. it, apparently, Google uses as much energy to consi- continuously power 200,000 homes. So... That, that, you know, that, maybe maybe Mississauga. That, those numbers seem very is. small, but here's a challenge: if someone knows the correct answer, let us know. <laughs> yeah, uh, but go. I will I will unreservedly take that back. <laughs> I, my my point essentially was trying to make is that uh, what I was, what I should have said uh, was that you know when you're when you're building when you're when you already have a bunch of infrastructure and a big part of the sort of team making these decisions is part of the industry that has a vested interest. You make very different decisions than when you answer to shareholders, but you don't. But those shareholders just want you know the most efficient profit, but they don't have an invested built-in interest to one option over the other. Mm -hmm. They're all making the same decision, and that's towards renewable energy. That's what I should have said. That makes sense. Uh, So uh, related to that, one of the other things I've oft thrown off, but uh, rarely have actual numbers for, because they're quite honestly quite uh, hard to come across, um, and I simply don't have the the team or the resources to to go in and and investigate this very detailed – has been fa- in this case has been validated, uh, and that claim is, or that thing that I've said repeatedly on this program is that you know one of the things that is that is often never part of the discussion, and I and I've never seen it included in any actual numbers when people are talking about you know when Justin Trudeau is talking about the money that could be made, and you know here's how we're going to pay for climate change is by oh. investing in the thing that causes climate change, but we're going to make so much money that it will pay for, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, is one of the things that, aside from general skepticism that you should have about those types of claims, there's some numbers that are never included. And, and one of the things that is I've never seen included, and feel free to, again to email us if you if you find an example of this. I will happily uh, admit being wrong if you can find an example of it, but I have yet to find it in the in the years of doing this show. Uh, if anyone talking about this or including it is the the cost that is paid by taxpayers after all of the money has been extracted and all of after all the CEOs have their you know golden parachutes and after all the employees have been you know found other jobs and quote unquote all this money has been made for Canadians of which you know a very small portion and blah, blah blah and that gets pulled into this and that is that there are costs left and one of the costs is cleanup. So this could relate to uh, all the pipeline spills. Uh, this could relate to all sorts of things. But in this particular article, which I should point out is from the National Post, uh, mm-hmm. is talking about a uh, a mine that we've honestly never even talked about on this show, which is a mine in uh, the Yukon, um, where three hundred million dollars, three hundred fifty million dollars of taxpayer dollars. That's redundant. In the past two decades, and over a quarter billion dollars in the uh, past decade alone. Uh, has been spent to clean up the abandoned ferromine site, which is a horrifyingly described in the article as a moonscape. Uh, I think that is entirely accurate. You can go and look at the pictures at yourself. Um, here's the problem. In the, all of that time, so the mine um, shut uh, was abandoned in 1998. Uh, it was around since the late 70s. And it's about 250, uh, t- uh, sorry, 
2,500 hectare mine. One of Canada's largest sites, $350 million, quarter billion dollars in the last uh, decade alone, zero, zero cubic meters, zero hectares, zero tons has been remediated. Zero. <laughs> and this is, as we said, now well over a quarter billion dollars. And the, re the reason I'm talking about this is, A, is this is a, a serious problem. A, because it hasn't been cleaned up. B, because the longer you take to clean it up, the worse the problem gets. C, is that a bunch of, uh, most of that money was, if you go and read the uh, things, and this is what the National uh, Post is talking about, is that the earmark for the money spent was for remediation, and no remediation has been done. Uh, this problem is getting worse. I mean, this is a, a, a very apt microcosm of our climate change problem. <laughs> you're spending a lot of money to not deal with it. And while you're not dealing with it, not only are you wasting your money, you're investing in things that make the problem worse. And the longer you take to deal with it, the problem gets worse. But here's the point. This is the indication of this is how things normally happen, right? When we're talking about building pipelines, when we're talking about doing all these things, look, we're going to make all this money. We're going to make all this money. We're going to make all this money. Hey, you could save a lot of money, Stefan, if you built your house out of uh, twigs you find in the park. No way. But guess what? When it burns down later or there's a flood and you know your house gets washed out, that's going to be pretty expensive, far more than you saved by building it out of twigs in the first place, especially if you, say, had you know tenants and you're now being sued by those tenants. Or if a wolf came and huffed and puffed. Exactly. It's Any of those things. Natural disaster that I'm really worried about. So here's the thing that we need to be demanding. This is the, this is the moral of the story before, mm. I, before I pass over to Stefan here. The moral of the story was when people are telling you, when Justin Trudeau is telling you that this is in the best interests of Canada, I want him to be asked – what is the full life cycle analysis of this project? How much are we paying to clean up after a private industry has uh, destroyed Canadian resources, poisoned drinking water, done all sorts of things? Uh, uh, how much are the Canadian taxpayers paying for it? And have you worked that into your numbers? Are we actually, is this actually in Canada's financial best interest to do when you include all of that data? And then when you have that data and you include all of the knockoff costs and all the retraining, all of the poisoning, all the lawsuits, all of the people who've died and all the health care costs of dealing with people who got cancer and all sorts of poisoning, all of the things getting lead in the water and includes criminality. When you include all of those costs and then compare that to what the alternative was, which was in, in the case of pipelines, building renewable energy and the benefits and the, and the amount of money you actually put back in the economy from that. Uh, I don't think it's beneficial, but I know one thing for sure. That's my opinion. Here's one thing I know for sure. Justin Trudeau has never made that case. And until he has, he does not have the uh, social license to go ahead and spend all this money on our behalf, commit us for the next 60 years to oil infrastructure, unless that calculation has been done. He says this is the best way to deal with climate change. I say prove it. Deirdre wants to jump in. Um, there are a lot of situations that are coming to my head right now. Um, the most recent one is the Nathan E. Stewart spill, um, which affected the community that I'm actually working in um, in B.C. near Bella Bella. Um, and that was a tugboat that spilled and it wasn't, it wasn't a barge. It wasn't oil tanker. It was a tugboat and it took them over a month to get anything done on that. And this, this new, um, article just, um, kind of highlights the difference between like idealistic, um, cleanup strategies that the government really likes to put out and, just the authorities in general just like to put out and what actually happens when it comes down to on the ground, on the ground recovery. Um, like some things just can't be cleaned up. And what I don't know if you mentioned the kind of mind it was, but I think it was lead and 
aluminum or something? Uh, yeah, I'm going to get that for you. It's 300, uh, 320 million tons of acid leaching uh, rock waste, but I'm just... It was a lead now. zinc there mine. Lead zinc, yeah. yeah. And, and also brings to mind, yeah, uh, these toxic chemicals that are seeping into our land and our waters over years, um, all backed up by this plan that's supposed to happen in some sort of small amount of time and it never does it never happens in a small amount of time um, it, and to and to, so, and to jump on that and to quote uh the uh the Tsleil Watuth uh interview we had a couple of weeks ago uh Pristine is pristine. There's yeah. not a there's not a there's not an undoing of pristine. There's not like a there's not grades of pristine. You know, if you you, you like that's not how this works. Um, and then just to segue into this, so this sort of the final story of the show, unless either of you have anything to say, but no one's looking at me like they do. So let's move on. Um, is if once you scale up this sort of like what you're talking about, uh, about Darren is the sort of this, this very this very specific um, and, and site specific, I guess actually uh, set of of lack of understanding full cost accounting. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like this is pipelines, this is mines, this is like okay, this is how much this costs, and, and but we're not really understanding the larger piece. But still, that's still site specific. What we're seeing globally uh, is 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 the expansion is the, is the second step to that. Which is that we're, we're also not doing is understanding the full full cost accounting of of climate change more generally, and so the uh, last story of the show uh, comes to us uh, by way of the newswire, so just like just the newswire, um, and but, but it's, it's but it's about how severe weather and natural disasters have caused a record year for insurable damage in Canada, and so this is this again this is this is and like and I know everyone is always like every specific in event can't be directly tied to climate change, right? You know, yes, there were hurricanes before climate change. Yes, there were wildfires before climate change. Yes, there were all these other things before climate change. However, when you have a CEO. Uh, the president and CEO, Don Ferguson, or Ferguson, depending on how you want to pronounce that, of the Insurance Bureau of Canada. So this isn't some, yeah, this isn't some lefty, this isn't some lefty folk. This is the CEO and president of Insurance Bureau of Canada saying, and I quote, severe weather due to climate change is already costing Canadians billions of dollars annually. I don't know how much more clear you can make that. Like that's a direct statement, and and, and to, to to put a number on this, um, twenty sixteen in cost the insurance industry four point nine billion dollars, uh, largely due to the wildfires that swept through Fort McMurray in May, uh, the floods that devastated parts of Nova Scotia and Newfoundland over Thanksgiving weekend, and the all these other severe weather we've experienced, which we know is in part caused by. Uh, by this, uh, by climate change, four point nine billion dollars. That's an incredible. And, and just to give you some context of how much, like you know, like I think often throwing numbers like that can be thrown out and be confusing, uh, or not, may not put in context. But to understand the previous record mm. for most money ever spent in one year by the Canadian insurance industry was in twenty thirteen. Again, not that many years ago, uh, but was three point two billion dollars. So this is. Um, a monumental increase in price and cost. Never mind the forty to fifty billion dollars a year we subsidize the industry that's causing all of these problems. <laughs> well, like it's 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 it, you know, this is the thing, right? This is the thing where you're, where you're looking at you, when you understand sort of so from the you know, the beginning of the show to the end of the show. Um, 
the 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 places if you were a business like if you were a like if you were a like if all of the world was just one business if all of the world was just Google say Google actually did you know create as much energy as 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 not only Canada but the whole world the whole the world whole they world. won't say they were operating a a very evil moon base yes exactly uh, yeah Newt's on the moon base and the rest of the world is run by Google um, <laughs> and if, you know if this was one if this was one one fact and you understood all the the costs you were costing yourself and all the opportunities you were ignoring we're just we're just running this 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 theoretical world company terribly. Mm. You know, we're 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 just we're 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 just letting money flow away from us on things that we know how to stop and could be making money stopping. And so it's just one of these things where it's like, I you know, so often in the environmental movement, uh, the environmental movement is talked down to by sort of the business types because because the because we don't understand you know the real world or we don't understand business or we don't understand all this sort of stuff and to be fair there is a massive 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 amount of work to be done to live in any of the worlds that we who we have talked about this show you know it, like that's i'm not here to say that we could do this tomorrow but what i'm saying is that if you look holistically at the costs we're incurring and the opportunity we're ignoring it it makes so much sense and it makes business sense and it's only going to continue to make more and more sense as the costs of the big things come down and the costs of the of the, of the bad things go up which is what we're seeing right now well and that's that's what i urgently you know want to sort of impress on people because and, and this is sort of this is something i've said you know for years now but i i this is a really good show to emphasize this point on, which is that so many people make the case based on uh, emotional uh, issues. And, and I, I don't want to invalidate people's emotions. But if your goal is to change people's minds, you need to use information. And the fact is, is that unfortunately, when you are someone who is a business person who who has a lot of money on the line, or you're talking to any of these things, or you're talking to politicians or any of these other people, they go, yeah, 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 your feelings are nice. But at the end of the day, money wins. And I can't make this decision because at the end of the day, we're going to lose a bunch of money and I'll be voted out of power. Like those just are not for the people that are holdouts on these things. Emotional, like you're going to kill the humpback whales. Unfortunately, they don't care. Let me just save you some time. They don't care. And what's more is that when you start with, but there's an inherent value to, value to humpback whales, I agree. But this, we don't need that argument. This is a much more effective argument. And when, when you say, when issue number one out of your mouth is this will endanger some humpback whales, what they're hearing is you don't have a financial argument. And we do. Say the thing about the whales. I agree. We all life is is valuable, and we should we should uh, make every attempt to not wipe out species. But we need to use the argument that they're going to listen to, and the argument that it, it, and and you're implying that there isn't a financial argument when you start with that. Say it, but say it second. Start with this, which is that when you do false counting, full cost accounting, and you actually take into account all of the actual factors, climate change, knockoff effects, downturn, all these things, there is a unbelievably just hands down conclusive argument that this is the better way to go and then tell them about the whales. That's, that's my urgent message for this week. Unfortunately, we are out of time. We're going to come back in a minute on the bonus show. So if you're listening to the bonus show, stay tuned. We will be right back. Uh, we're going to have a little more talk about this. We'll probably hear a little bit more from, from Deirdre now that my, my ranting is more or less out of my system. Uh, but if you're listening on the radio, thank you so much for listening. Uh, have a great week and we will see you very soon.
That's it for the regular program this week on The Green Majority. I had a side topic for the bonus show, but it was basically just more ranting about Justin Trudeau, and we can do that anytime. What we don't have any week is Deirdre, one of our long-lost volunteers who's since left and happened to be in town today, so she runs our bonus show this week. Stay tuned to enjoy that. If you support the program, you appreciate what we do, and you would like to hear more of it, including more improvements like we've been implementing recently to try and have a more orderly structured show, you can contribute directly to making that happen by signing up to be a Green Majority member today. You go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Green Majority. So we are recording right now. Stefan, welcome to the bonus show. Thank this you. is the Green Majority bonus show. Stefan has to go, so yeah. we're either going to be really brief or he's going to walk out halfway through. We haven't decided that yet. Uh, I, I, do you want me to just start with my thing, my prepared thing? Uh, I guess. The, the other option is that I know you really want to talk about this prepared thing, but my only other suggestion was I would we just talk to Deirdre about what her where, the work she's doing right now. Cause, Let's just like, do that. It's kind of fun. Really, I was just going to complain about Trudeau more. Okay, so why I can do that anyway. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, well, why don't we <laughs> – all right, so let's put Deirdre on the spot. Uh <laughs> What? You're okay. doing cool things. Great promo. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so explain, uh, give our listeners at least a little sense of, of A, because <laughs> we already know that everyone skips the entire show uh, to true. just listen to Deirdre on the bonus show. It's true. Um, know that, uh, welcome. welcome new Deirdre listeners. Welcome we're giving back. you all Deirdre-based commentary um, <laughs> for the bonus show because we're really, because we, we care about you, the listeners. Uh, so can you give, uh, for, those of you who, for those of you who are your biggest fans uh, who have skipped the show to listen to you right now, uh, what was the job opportunity and what are you doing now that that has taken you to the to the bc coast okay can i also take an opportunity to talk about ferrets yes you definitely can okay (laughs) (laughs) um so i'm on the central coast of bc working with um pacific wild and a production company based in vancouver on a documentary project on the great bear rainforest um which is i think pertinent to the show Mm -hmm. um so but what does that like look like? You know, like like I feel like uh, like when we we sat down and before the break uh, and 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 chatted a bit and just like the the type of work you're doing is 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 fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty pretty nuts out there. Um, so I didn't really know much about boats when I went out, um, <laughs> and I went out there. It turns out. I'm mostly living on a catamaran um, <laughs> in the middle of the Great Bear Sea uh, I for po- the next year. <laughs> Very briefly, I just want to point so. out that there's a minor fun story, which is that I remember shortly after Deirdre went out there, she posted on Facebook basically being like, do I know anyone who can cook, um, <laughs> operate camera equipment, and also scuba dive? <laughs> and okay, I was it like, was, who are you looking for? <laughs> it was actually cooking, boating, and diving okay all right so no camera equipment that's <laughs> camera good. equipment unnecessary <laughs> um just don't destroy it oh uh, there we go um but we are actually potentially looking for someone for january if, uh, so if you're on the bc coast <laughs> have those skills if you happen to be a diver a cook and a deckhand then reach out <laughs> yeah, you can you can email the show. I'm happy to forward that email. Okay. Like, email the show for <laughs> we'll, we'll find you. We will find you this uh, this employee. Come on, Toronto. Yeah. So so okay. Let's let's play this game then. Um, what, if if you do find this deckhand, we've now asked for. <laughs> uh, what are the kind of fun things they might get to experience? Like you told me something about wolves. Uh, yeah. So wolves are a big part of the film. Basically, all the beautiful creatures that roam the Great Bear Sea and its coastline. Um, are part of it. 
Um, that includes wolves, um, grizzly bears, black bears, including the elusive spirit bear of the Great Bear Rainforest. Um, and if you're into fish, we got salmon, we got herring. Um, those are both big parts of the film in, in spring and fall, respectively. Um, it's all about how the ecosystem is tied together, and the team is awesome. Um, I don't know what else. Uh, so why don't birds? we go? Let's go with um, let's go with uh, your favorite your your favorite moment so far. Oh, uh, okay. So one of the one of my favorite moments isn't necessarily like the wildest moment, um, but it was our last day of shooting um, in the winter season, and we had gone up and. Um, we'd gone up this inlet to look for a whale that was potentially beached um, up north, and we were fighting winds the whole time. It was it was sixty knot winds easily, um, which is about uh, it's, it's probably about one hundred and thirty kilometers an hour or so. Um, so our boat was barely moving. We didn't find the whale, but on the way back, um, this pod of dolls porpoises came and joined us for probably the better part of an hour. It must have been twenty around 20 porpoises um, just swimming alongside our boat. And it was the last day of shooting, and we just laid on the front deck and enjoyed the moment. And that was probably one of the most magical moments of the season. And we should reiterate that this is, uh, this is an internship, this is a job. It's a job. It's a job. So it's you're getting paid to, to lie on the front of a boat and, and swim through the <laughs> Pretty lucky. <laughs> again, they're, again, they're going to be hiring. In, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not only are they going to be hiring, I can, let me also point out that, once again, if you volunteer for this show, good things happen it's to you, true. unless you're, you're, you're you know, Saren and I, and then we're you know, we're yeah. just yeah. <laughs> I, I Actually, I, think, I, I really yeah, I liked that in-the-moment tagline came up with, is the best volunteer opportunity you'll ever leave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Where's Sabina? <laughs> yeah. She's still working for the UN. This is the things we lose people to. Oh well. Yeah, I think that I think we should. If we were judged by the caliber of what people get after us, yeah, I, we seem like all stars. We're like the good luck Chuck of career opportunities. <laughs> yes. Um, so, see, yeah, I heard, and I actually, I'm not, I, I can't, I'm actually uh, prohibited from giving any specific details. But there's a lot of really cool documentaries coming out, including and this is all I can say. I'm forbidden from saying any further. Uh, and it, you could have guessed this anyway, so I'm not really violating anyone's mm-hmm. privacy by leaving it this. But there's a bunch of virtual reality movies being made right now mm-hmm. um, that are designed, I believe, designed for a headset experience. I don't know how exactly that's going to work. Uh, but quite extensively, some about uh, all sorts of things. Some walking through. So, we, I mean, there was a big uh, thing when they did the helicopters and they flew over and uh, I forget it was, J- it was James Cameron. Oh, flew the over the went up and flew over and so there was that. This the, is the, the next right? step where yeah. you will soon be able to uh, within the next couple of years, whether the project I'm thinking of goes ahead or not, hmm. uh, be able to quite literally walk through and look around. Oh wow! And I think that's one of the reasons why you know people sort of give me a hard time sometimes about like you know the conflict between being an environmentalist and a technophile, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these are some of the, yes. There's a lot of downsides, but these are some of the opportunities. I mean, this is will be an unprecedented uh, opportunity to actually experience what it is like because mm-hmm. I think it's very easy to make decisions about places you can't imagine. Oh yeah. Um, and I think this in another way we're talking about with the other thing, this could be a game changer. I mean, you know, in films like that, but being able to to feel like you're there and hear the sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure they'll have smell o vision at some point. And you'll <laughs> they, smell. They, how they just ooh, they do. They yeah. Do. Somebody was telling me this, and it's, I, it's I was in, very skeptical. There are there are legitimately European theaters in which they have smell o vision. 
region. Somebody like, told like, me they went to something like that here. Oh, really? In I, Toronto. I haven't heard. I, anyway. I only, this is a while ago I heard about the European one. Um, but I want to give, uh, because as I mentioned, I do need to run. I want to give uh, a chance before I leave, though, uh, for Deirdre, to, you, you know, you were away for six months. And it's, mm-hmm. I think you might be away for another eight or ten, maybe, if you're not back into, since October. Uh, what, uh, what do you want our audience to know uh, before, you know, like, is it ferrets? Is it something else? Speak Ooh. to our, speak to our, to Ooh. our clan. Ooh. Um, well, before I, I talk about something profound, um, <laughs> I do want to mention a project called Tree Hugger Wahoma um, that oh, that relates to like the VR experience that we were just talking about. It, it's this company um, called Marshmallow Laser Feast, um, based in London. Um, that's doing some really cool stuff, and and you can basically hug a tree. And it transports you into the world of this tree in virtual reality, but the physicality of touching the tree grounds you so you don't get sick. Mm. Um, But you can be in the tree. It's like this giant redwood, um, Mm. and they're doing a bunch of cool tree projects similar to that. And it sounds awesome. Wow. Uh, But, yeah, something profound. Uh, or not profound. Mm, You you could just really say that we need to save more ferrets. That's also fine. Ferrets. It's true. (laughs) I think they're under – estimated in the world of endangered species um but i'm glad someone is rooting for them yeah we don't know who they made the guardians top five that's right just made <laughs> well, my day to be, to be <laughs> technical the, the drones that were being used to save them are the, the yeah. news story not the okay. ferrets no. <laughs> it's the unsung hero of that story is the ferrets well, if they, without the ferrets that needed saving why would we need the drones well really? exactly <laughs> it's a very entangled relationship um, but, ooh, I have something to say. Um, we live in a very beautiful country. And um, I had a crew boss when I was tree planting who didn't want to travel before he had seen all of Canada. And it was a very big, I think, goal. And I think he achieved it. Um, so explore your country, especially this year. Park passes are free from the government of Canada to all national parks. Um, so order yours today. All right. There you awesome. go. Well, I'm, as I said, I can complain about Trudeau anytime. If we need something next week, I'll save it for that. Uh, you'll, you probably know what I'm going to say. Well, I'll just I'll, – you know what? I can probably do – I can read you the title of the article and, you'll, and anyone who listens to the show knows what my comments Great. will be. Great. Trudeau aims to connect with Canadians in coffee shops and church basements. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for the Green Majority this week. Thank you so much. Have a good Green Week and uh, take care. 